Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another edition of the Breaking the Guard podcast with me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we go into detail about order and discipline. In particular, uh, we talk a little bit about Kenyan Cornelius' new school, Legion, uh, American Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, we go into breaking down some of the rules or rather the structure that he's using for his new gym and we critique it a bit and we go down a few rabbit holes uh measuring different martial arts like uh robert had experience in japan working in kosen judo it's a very traditional jiu-jitsu i mean a judo academy versus more modern and brazilian jiu-jitsu academies the different vibes and whatnot and we go over the importance of having that type of structure for both the school owner and for the student. Uh, we also talk a little bit about measuring progress. Uh, we've gone into this before, but we we attacked it from another side. So there's a lot of good stuff here from the mental angle that I think will be very valuable for uh, both students and coaches. So go ahead and take a listen. Before we get started, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is FFACoach.com. FFA Coach is a membership site from my academy, the Freestyle Fighting Academy, where we host our online curriculums. And it has covers just about everything for beginner, intermediate, and advanced level students in mixed martial arts. So our curriculums are not only divided by skill level, but they're also by striking, wrestling, and grappling. So we have years worth of curriculums on there since we've opened up back in 2007. So we're one of the oldest people in the game and one of the only ones that cover mixed martial arts exclusively. Besides our online curriculums, which we rotate monthly, we also have just regular weekly updates where we post new videos from our classes and from different instructional materials that we post. So... There's over 1,500 videos online now, and you can get started for free just by joining as a guest and get some limited access to the site, or just dive right in. For $1, you'll get 30 days of access with no contracts or anything silly like that. You know, you can just try it for 30 days. If you don't like it, you can just walk away from it, or you can join for as little as $12 per month and get full access to over 1,500 videos and much more content that's there. So to get started, just visit ffacoach.com and you can see, get a free preview of this site and also join for the $1 trial. So go ahead, visit ffacoach.com. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avon. Here, Robert Drysdale for another edition of the Breaking the Guard podcast. Robert just came back from a, a big European vacation. Right? I wouldn't call it a vacation. It <laughs> seems like it if you follow me on Instagram because I know one posts boring pictures. You know, well, it's you post like, really good pictures. I, I I work on it, man. Like uh, I've always like like photography. I try to like work on better angles. And just off my phone, I got to get a professional camera one of these days. But I had uh, a layover in Portugal, Lisbon, which I'd never been to. I always really wanted oh. to go. It's beautiful. And it was like a like six, seven hour layover. So you know what? I'm going to walk around. It's like a day off walking around Lisbon. It was very beautiful. Highly recommended. 
A lot of Brazilians there. I expected Brazilians. I think half the people I interacted with were Brazilians. I was surprised. And then uh, I went to uh, Sweden, Ireland, Strasbourg, and France. And then I had a day off in Paris. So some seminars. Shout out to um, you know Kills of Dublin for hosting me. Uh, SPR in Stockholm and uh, Infinity Jiu-Jitsu in Strasbourg I for hosting me, hosting the seminar. So I had a lot of fun. I hope they enjoyed it too. Nice. I'm sure they did, man. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, I wanted to start today with, I saw some news, uh, you know, Keenan Cornelius just opened up his new gym or he's opening up his new gym, Legion. I heard it's beautiful. You know, uh, BJJ. Someone who's been there since it's like supposed to be like, I think like 7,000 square feet of mat space. That's just crazy in, in Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, yeah, and that's awesome. I'm like, yeah. happy that he was able to make that move. I know he's bounced around to a few places trying to find his own spot, and sometimes you have to make it yourself. You yeah, know? <laughs> sometimes you gotta, you know, you're, I think he's too big to go in someone else's home, and I don't think he wants that. I think he has the aspiration to do something else. I think he's gonna start slowing down competing soon. It's, it's a natural progression. Now you want to be more of a coach, business owner kind of thing. And um, he, he seems like, a, a, it seems to me that's what he's, he's trying to do. Yeah, and, and like you said, natural progression from becoming a heavy competitor and then now slowly starting to fade back a little bit and, yeah. and become coaching. His online coaching has done really well. So, you know, it's it's the right direction, I think, for him. Uh, one of the things that he sparked a little controversy on was well, there was two things, really. One of them is he's calling uh, his brand of jiu-jitsu American jiu-jitsu yeah. or AJJ. He's not the first one. Like no. I think Jake Shields was... I think it has tattooed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think Jake Shields was like the first guy to put out yeah. American jiu-jitsu as a brand, yeah. right? So, But he would be essentially following that lineage. So I guess we can start there and we'll go yeah. to the second one afterwards. So like my thoughts on it, you can call it whatever you want, I suppose. It seems kind of weird in the sense because he is training he learned brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah right like this even though like he, i know he, he was somewhere else before i think lloyd irvin then lloyd irvin and even though lloyd irvin's american and still brazilian jiu-jitsu and he doesn't yeah. brand it any differently and then he went to atos and that's more brazilian jiu-jitsu so I, I i guess there would have to be a clarification what makes your jiu-jitsu yeah. american yeah i, I think know? it just depends on further two different things or one of them is are you claiming it as Brazilian or American or Japanese or Argentinian? Because for nationalistic purposes, I was born here. I'm proud of my country. I love my country. I don't want to practice a sport that has someone else's country on there. Right. And that is, well be one motivation. The other one would be, um, are there cultural traits that have been assimilated into the martial art itself? Not even just on the technical level, but even, even on the social level. Right. And, I've always been of two minds. I'm like probably better positioned than most people because of this, because I've done a lot of training in Brazil here. I got dual citizenship. And my take on it initially was always to be against any kind of nationalism, because that's how I saw, like, why Brazil? Why, we didn't call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil, incidentally. Like, you don't go to China and ask for Chinese food. I actually did that in Thailand. I asked for Thai tea in Thailand. They were looking at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> you know? But, like, no one calls it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. It's like, why call it here? So I didn't like it at first. But I understand why a lot of people wanted to use it because there's a lot of people that still make the association with the traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, often, you know, swords and spears. Sure, and sure. It's things that we don't practice. So it's, it's not because all we're, what we practice, we call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I actually think we should call it Brazilian judo. 
if you ask me. It's a far more appropriate term to call it Brazilian Judo because that's what it is. It's right. a variant of Judo. That's all it is, right? But we call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I actually, you know, my, I, don't, I don't like it for the nationalistic purposes because I don't think they belong in martial arts. I love the fact that you know, the, the IBUJF circuit is fought amongst teams and not nations. I like that because all of a sudden you find yourself rooting for the guy that's from Mexico or Bulgaria over the guy that was born in the same country you were. It's kind of a break of that, like, Olympic thing of, like, Americans versus Russians or so on. Right, right. Um, I'm not against, I mean, honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what, like I said, it doesn't, to the, for practical purpose, it makes no difference. But there seems to be a little element of resentment in why he's calling American Jiu-Jitsu, particularly now. He's been very critical of IBJJF, and he feels that IBJJF has conspired against him throughout his career to prevent him from winning because he's American. Like, I don't believe that. I think that's... It's not the case for a lot of other Americans who have won. Um, like Mosu Messi was just here. He won three world titles, you know. So, you know, and, and his matches have been somewhat controversial, too. Like, some of them are very close. Like, that Mikey was never one of those guys. I mean, if you look at his every world title he's won, David, he hasn't, he wasn't, like, putting people away. It wasn't, like, one of those decisive wins. They were, like, won by advantage or barely, you know. Yeah. Very close calls, which is typical of the division, too. So I, I think it's more out of um, maybe resentment towards the fact that he feels that Brazilians have been unfair, or IBJJF specifically has been unfair throughout his career. Yeah, you know, and I've been to some of his early matches back when he was still with uh, Lloyd Irvin. It was, I believe he was a brown belt. He was fighting in the in the Worlds, I th- or I believe it was the Worlds, brown belt Worlds or the Gi. And I was coaching him because Lloyd was coaching someone else. And I saw some really bad calls, <laughs> like yeah. horrendous calls where... He swept the guy, got yeah. into the mount, got the back mount, got back into the mount, and had no points the whole time, yeah. which could have been like easily a 10-point sequence, yeah. depending on who was scoring it. And then I remember I was just saying, just finish him, because you're not getting points. And then yeah. he got a triangle afterwards. And that was just one match I saw. So I'm sure he's had a few of those, and that might have colored, you know. And that, again, yeah. you, you, that's one match, you know, but... I think more important is if you have a, a thought in your mind already and then you start getting confirmation bias, right? Like yeah. You start seeing things happen. Oh, it happened because of this. Yeah. You and see I what know you want to see. Yeah, yeah. And so you start seeing what you want to see, right? So, you know, I'm sure there's some historical precedent uh, precedent for that. But like you said, there's Americans have won now. I think that kind of, you might say it might have been existed in the past, maybe. But yeah. at this point, I think it's probably not there. <laughs> But uh, I do believe you're right in the sense where the spirit of this is coming from is like kind of maybe a spite, more of a renegade type thing. Yeah. More uh, maybe a marketing angle like, hey, you know, I'm everybody's doing this. I'm the the young American guy. I'm doing American jujitsu yeah. now, right? Especially Americans are fiercely nationalistic. The other thing is Brazilians are not. Like, I grew up in Brazil. I know this. Yeah. Like Brazilians are not. I mean, the only time Brazilians are fiercely nationalistic is when they play soccer. Against Argentinians, particularly, then they're like they're dead serious about it. Other than that, like they're really not. You know, every now and then you see these guys they walk in a cage with the Brazilian flag, and it's like so not like it's so not like them to do that. I think because maybe they're you know maybe because Brazil doesn't do well in a lot of sports. I mean, considering the size of the country, when you really look at it, it's like soccer, volleyball, jiu-jitsu, MMA. It's like a handful of other sports where Brazilians like competitive at. Right. So I think it's almost like one of those things that in your face, like, here's my flag, you know, like, but they overall, generally, I think the vast majority, no statistics on this, the vast majority of Brazilians cannot sing the national anthem. 
like they don't know it. Get, granted, it's a really long one. Like it's their excuse <laughs> for not knowing. It's really, I, yeah. it, I, it's, I actually want, I actually do. I can see it from beginning to end. But uh, I don't think uh, I don't think they're national. I don't think there's anything going on other than confirmation bias. I mean, he'd probably bet if you could actually measure it. Maybe he was. They were unfair with him in some some situations, but. I think that happens to everyone, man. Like, I've been screwed playing. I grew up in Brazil, man. Like, I know what it's like to be an American in Brazil. Brazilians don't consider me Brazilian. Right. That's the thing. Like, I'm Brazilian. Maybe consider as in here. When I'm in Brazil, I'm full-on American. Yeah, you're, you're considered a half-breed. Yeah. Some people won't consider you American here, and then no. you're not considered Brazilian and there. <laughs> I never felt it. I, I got screwed playing. I just never yeah. felt it wasn't fair with me because of my national. I just never, it never crossed my mind. I don't, I don't believe that. I think they were unfair with me because... Oh, I like this guy. I'm friends with him. I train with him. He's my buddy. You beat me last week, so I'm going to screw. I don't know. Maybe some dumb reason like that. But not all. You were born in a different country. I'm going to screw with you, you know. And in the case of IBJF, I don't believe it for other reasons. First of all, they're the best trained referees out there by far, in my opinion. By far. In the, in the grappling, submission, wrestling, jiu-jitsu circuit, by far the best trained referees. Um, granted, the rules are very complicated. But they have a financial interest in making jiu-jitsu neutral. You gotta remember, right? Very, I mean, I say the financial factor. I don't. Maybe that's. I don't think that is a motivation. But if they were, I don't believe that IBJF is motivated by that solely. But like, if that were a motivation, let's let's argue for for argument's sake that it was a motivation. Wouldn't they be biased towards Americans, which is like eighty percent of their their market? Yeah, the vast majority of the money is coming from the United States. If they were to make a decision, to me. Maybe the opposite, if anything, which clearly there's no conspiracy. You cannot get like 20 referees in the room and go, by the way, when Keenan fights, yeah. we're going to make sure he loses. Like, come on, guys. Like, who believes that? You know? But I I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think more that the, the reason he's doing it is more just for the marketing angle of it. And yeah. maybe and it works. And yeah. a little bit of yeah. spite. And yeah, you know, you got to use what you got, you know? So, but I think as far as like the legitimacy of it, I don't know because I, I I'm seeing the origins of where his like his uh, martial arts came from. I mean, it's essentially all BJJ. Yeah. Right. Like I could make a case I'm doing American Jiu-Jitsu. You could make a case because that's, right. I, that's a good point. You, because Jake I, Shields could too. Jake Shields. I mean, kind of. I think I do well, Caesar he, Gracie he's a lot. Caesar Gracie. Like I have but, more of a case because I didn't have anybody. Yeah. Like I was learning from grappling magazines and the. The coach I had, he was a judo black belt. That's a good point. I Japanese jiu jitsu yeah. black belt, but he wasn't really in BJJ. He didn't have any ranking yeah. in BJJ. And I didn't until I was already beating black belts. Yeah. And then I got it afterwards. You know, so I can make a case for that, but I don't. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I have my own brand, freestyle fighting. That's yeah. the style that we do. We have our own ranking system all, all, and all that. So I get the, the idea of wanting to start your own brand, you know? Yeah. But it's also not an original name. That's what I say. Like, I, the only guy I could think of was Jake Shields. Was the yeah, first guy. People been it. flirting with it for a while. But he was the only yeah. guy that I know prominently that was that was pushing AJJ. Yeah. yeah, and then it kind of died, and then they're trying to make a comeback now. And and there there is, I think that at the end of the day, it's kind of funny because he's still going to be practicing under IBJJF. <laughs> he's not. It's not like not, unless you're going to create a new federation, you know, which yeah. is like good luck with that, man. That's a, that's a if you think running a gym is hard, imagine a federation. Yeah, that's like a whole new operation there. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, if it's, I, I respect people, you know, wanting to do things and going a different route. I just don't think it's, maybe I would, ag- I would agree with dropping the Brazilian if it weren't for the reason why people want to drop the Brazilian in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think the reason why is that if it's out of spite and resentment, then no. That's not a good reason. It's like, you know what, it just makes the word really long. 
most people are educated enough to not confuse it with traditional jiu-jitsu anymore. We can yeah. drop it for that reason. I'm like, okay, for that reason, it makes sense to me. Um, I'll tell you a story. Maybe I've, maybe I've told this story here before, mm. so if not, I'll, forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But when we were filming Closed Guard, the documentary we're working on, we went to Kosen Judo schools in Tokyo, right? It's as traditional as it gets. They're very old-school judokas. And for those of you who don't know, Kosen Judo is very an inside of Judo, they, they kind of clashed with Jigoro Kano a little bit, and they didn't they wanted more ground in Judo, and Jigoro Kano was very, like, up. He didn't like ground. He considered that, you know, you know, humans should walk. The ground is for animals. That's mm. a quote from Jigoro Kano. Interesting. Right? Yeah, he, like, he thought the ground was for animals. He didn't like He was very against the grappling, the ground aspect of grappling, right? Huge mistake. Huge mistake, right? Uh, but the Kosen guys were very resistant, and it survived in universities in Japan. There were like seven or eight universities in Japan that continued to practice it, and is remarkably similar to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, the rules are different, but they play Spider Guard, De La Hiva. It's, it, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu pretty much, just with different yeah. rules, right? And we went to their school, and the black belts would show up 30, 20, 30 minutes before class, which is unheard of in any Brazilian. No, no. <laughs> show up my class like 20 minutes before class starts. Like, it's, there's no one there, yeah. right? And the black belts, and I got a video of this. I got to post it one of these days. They're all sweeping the mats, right? And it was, it was like, a, like a symphony of like black belts sweeping the mats, and their geese were immaculately clean, the cleanest geese you ever like, They looked like brand new geese. They were shiny. They were so clean. They were so respectful towards me and, my, and the, the, the crew we had, uh, uh, that I had with me. And, and then we went to Yuki Nakai's gym. And it, everyone was very respectful, too. In that regard, it was the same. The Japanese are very respectful people. Yeah. But there were some major differences from Usin Kosen Jiro gym and the Yuki Nakai gym. There was a little more, they were a little more relaxed. They didn't show casual, up to, yeah. yeah, it was far more casual. They didn't show up that early. You know, like a few of them showed up late. And they kind of sat in the corner with their legs spread open, like taping their fingers, laughing, goofing around with their friends. And, you know, and it, it, there was this energy in the room that was very different, right? And that's when it dawned on me that, like, what they were practicing was Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There was a lot of the Brazilian culture that had made it all the way back to Japan. There was that relaxed, show up late, kind of eh, chill. Everyone's laughing on the mats. They're joking around a lot more. It was a very, it was not nearly as militaristic as the Kosen Judo gyms, gyms had been, which were very, like, you could see it was very militaristic, right? And I think there's are aspects of Brazilian culture that, for better or for worse, I think they've harmed Brazilian as a country as a whole a lot. I think when, when Brazilians are very, it's almost like they're too much. It's like, let's do it later. They're not the most organized people. Time is not really a thing. People are, that's not everyone. They're very organized. IBJJF yeah. is the best example. Most organized grappling organization I know is IBJJF. And they're all run by Brazilians. So there are exceptions. But generally speaking, there's just a lot of that in Brazil. But it, it's created this, this, this relaxed culture that I think a lot of people relate to, David. Because, you know, people get from work, you're living on the tearing of the clock. You know, and everything you do is timed and you're under pressure from your boss and all these things. And you get to the gym, it's like, <sighs> relax, you know, I can. And I think that's attractive to a lot of people. And these are, in my opinion, you know, maybe you disagree. Maybe some people think I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing it too far. But I think there are a lot of aspects of Brazilian culture that have made it to the United States and Japan and around the world. When I go to Turkey or other countries in Europe, I see that. And it's, it's something very, just this energy in the room that's not unlike other martial arts I've, I've practiced. Um, you know, the acai thing, like that's, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a Brazilian thing, man. So I think for that reason, the, the B should be, Brazil should be regarded as the birthplace of Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Brazilian judo, as I prefer to call it these days. But, um, you know, it's not, it's, it, it's something that even Keenan, whether he realized or not, he's, he's assimilated all of that. 
I oh, guarantee sure. you his American Jiu-Jitsu gym is not going to be like militaristic. It's going to be, there's going to be aspects of Brazilian culture that I can almost guarantee you. Yeah, that's interesting. Let me ask you, with the Kosen Judo guys, do they compete in Judo and stuff, or are they like a closed loop? Are they actually, just practicing for the art? or I think they probably compete in the... I don't know for sure, but I know they have their internal circuit of, between universities. Okay. It's a university style. Okay. And they compete amongst, uh, um, you know, these universities. And I'm not sure what the rules are, but they're different. Like, I've looked into it. I can't... I don't even want to mention it because gotcha. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm sure you can look, out, look it up online and find out. But... But they do compete. They do compete, yeah. Okay. I, I was just wondering because I haven't myself seen a super strict regimen like that often right like even in wrestling circles when you're training you are it's very strict coaches on you pushing you all the time but outside of training you're a lot more relaxed joking around yeah a a lot more casual so i was wondering if it's just a matter of it being a competitor thing where competitors take the training very seriously yeah. but then once they're done training they would just want to kick back oh, okay i, I want to chill now versus yeah. somebody who's just doing the art form they're doing the discipline itself is the relaxation in a yeah. sense that's the meditation you know so everything before that is also like serious in a way yeah you know it might it might be i might be reading too much into it but um i mean the, the i mean I, I i chose an extreme example too yeah. which is like japanese judo which is like they're they're known for their discipline, you know. Even in like Western countries, the judokas tend to be the most disciplined out of everyone. Like they're extremely respectful. I remember when I started training, like you had to turn your back to everyone else to tie your gi. It was a big no-no to tie your belt where people could see you. Mm. They're not supposed to see your bare chest. You turn around, face the wall, and that's how you tie your gi. Like you cannot walk past people. You have to walk behind them. And the coach, you know, actually was... It was a traditional jiu-jitsu style, like the one school in Brazil that existed of traditional jiu-jitsu. I yeah. found that school. But they had a lot of, like the guy was originally a judoka. And, um, you know, they had a lot of that. Like you had to get walk in front of people, past people. You had to walk always behind them. It's just a respectful thing to do, right? Little things like that, and they're very serious about it. And it's funny because you quickly fall in line because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, sure. So like, you're on the match like this all the time. It's almost like you're tense. It's hard to relax. And I love it from a business perspective from a coach's perspective but as a student it's kind of like almost like you're holding your breath all the time because like yeah. hey, you all you don't want to do it. it's it's you, you get used to it of course but i like the i that's one reason i love gyms brazilian jiu-jitsu in general is because like i go and it's like it's a very it's i don't know even when i don't train i want to be at the gym because it's, it's such a fun environment like i enjoy the company of other practitioners yeah i think that's an interesting point that you bring because most people who are training now are days are like they're doing it casually right yeah. Like your competitors and fighters are less than three percent of your business, right? And and well, almost everybody else is casual, and they they have enough stress coming in from work and from life and whatever else is going on, and if they have to go into your gym in a very strict r- regimen, yeah, and be worried about making a mistake or it, it's kind of like being back at work again yeah. for some people, right? Yeah. And that kind of puts them off. And I think a lot of people with traditional martial arts. As an adult, that puts you off too because you're like, you know, I'm a grown ass man and I have to follow all these different little rules and stuff. Yeah. Like, I have enough of that already. Whereas, I think a lot of people like mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because it's a lot more casual, you know. So, an yeah. adult can go in there and doesn't feel like they're being put in line like yeah. a child, you know, like they can relax a little bit, have fun, get a good workout. Uh, so, I think it's a much easier to sell, you know, as a business. And it's probably, 
just easier as a person to deal with, right? Yeah. Like you're saying you don't have to worry about like, uh, how is my gi perfectly clean? There's no creases or, you know, I got all my gear, you know? Yeah, so I, I could see that as being an appeal for anybody yeah. to want to go in and just be in a more relaxed atmosphere where I'm still learning something very practical and getting a good workout. Yeah, because you don't see a lot of gyms that are, I don't know, any really that are that crazy strict, like you were describing yeah. the coast in Judah where everybody is in... Yeah, it it might it may not be. I think I mean Americans might be somewhere in between. If you had to really put your finger on it, um, like for example, I remember like I had uh, one of my I was in Brazil. I was broke as I had like twenty students. They're paying me like the equivalent of, like twenty dollars a month. You know, like I had enough to train. Yeah, that was it. I had enough money to train. That was it, right? So one idea I had is I went on one of these BJJ forums. I did this like this would have been like two thousand one, two maybe. I don't remember which the popular one was at the time. It might have been underground something, whatever. Yeah, the, the, yeah underground forum. Yeah, sure. and I went on there, like, train in Brazil and live with an American or something like that, right? I was a purple belt at the time. I'm like, hey, my name is Robert Drysdale. I, you know, live in Brazil. Um, I was born in the U.S. I speak fluent English. I went to school down here. If you would like to train in Brazil, you pay. I think I was charging, like, $500 a week or something like that. And I'll house you, feed you, pick you up from the airport, drop you off, train you. Everything for five hundred bucks a week, right? Which is, from an American perspective, it's a great deal. It's yeah. a great deal. Yeah. Right. When you're in Brazil, it's also a great deal, <laughs> especially when you're making like five hundred dollars yeah. a month. Like not even. Yeah. You know. So I, that's how I was making my money, and I'd have all these guys come over, right? And all my students were Brazilian. So these first like Americans and Swedes and Canadians came over. Basically, you know, like class was at seven, but it never really started at seven. It depended on how well the conversation was going outside, right? And there was this one time the conversation was really good. It was like 7, 30, 15, 20, 30, whatever it was. And I didn't have my, no one had their geese on. And all the, the foreigners all on the mats, like, what the hell is going on? They're like, well, was this class canceled? They, they were really confused, right? And yeah. we're just like, why, why are these guys in a hurry to train? Like, we're 30 minutes late. I'm the gym owner. I don't care. And I'm outside just like having fun and we're laughing. And it's kind of like once it stops being funny, Whatever time that happens, that's when, that's when training begins, right? That's kind of like the Brazilian mindset. And, like, I could see the foreigners kind of, like, like they were really confused. And one of them finally came over to me, like, Rob, is, is training canceled tonight? And I looked at the clock. I realized it was, like, 7.30, whatever it was. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Okay, guys, we got to go. And I was like, okay, we got to go. But it was, you know, you don't, I, I, these days I don't do that. Like, yeah, now I'm very yeah. American like that, like, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, right? All right, Brazilians are almost like, it's almost like too much. It's fun. Brazilians know how to party, man. They know how to have fun. Like life is a party, but it's one reason why, like, I can't, I can't, I can't be there, man. Like it's just too much. It's all the time. It doesn't stop. It's like they live like that 24 seven. On the positive side, there's not a lot of like depression there and anxiety and so probably lower than most countries, I would guess. Probably lower, but it's very hard to get things done. Put it like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> very true. difficult. Well, I guess that that brings around like. There's a point where I feel like there has to be some structure. And I think you would agree with that. It can't be completely disorganized or too relaxed because then nothing happens. It's chaos yeah. versus being highly structured. So like, I guess the next thing that I, I was going to say that Keenan was bringing about that ruffled some people the wrong way was that he was going to, I guess a lot of schools, particularly the Gracie Baja schools, they're very strict on the uniform yeah. requirements. You have oh, to buy the uniform. We are too. Yeah. yeah, you have to buy the uniform from them. It has to have the patch of this. You yeah. can't bring in other 
uh, keys or whatnot. So then Keenan's going the other way, saying that I'll buy your geese from other schools or whatnot and give you one or we'll donate these to charity. He doesn't care. Yeah. Right. So he's saying just come in with whatever. I might be wrong if I'm wrong. Sorry. But I, yeah, I, I, that's what I, I saw something. Somewhere. Yeah. I saw like, something that's to that understanding. It. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a strict gee policy. Yeah. And there was something about buyback. And I think they were going to give it to charity or something. Yeah. Right. So, uh, again, a lot of people like the idea of that. Because as a consumer, more freedom. Great. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I can do whatever I want. As a business owner, I see that not so great, right? Yeah. One, you're losing revenue by not getting your geese out there. Two, when people are wearing other people's uniform, they're marketing for them, yeah. right? Not good for me, right? Like oh, for anyone. You're marketing yeah. someone who doesn't do anything for anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely, they're not doing anything for you, right? Because you're training at this gym, you know? So it doesn't make sense there, too. And then three, there's like a lack of uniformity where... Yeah. Everybody's wearing different stuff. You're yeah. wearing a white gi. I'm wearing a blue gi. You have like a, you know, Zenith Jiu-Jitsu patch. I have whatever, yeah. Caesar Gracie thing. Like, yeah. it, from the outside perspective, someone comes in, it's like, what's going on? It looks like yeah. it looks like chaos, you know, versus when everybody's wearing the same uniform, you it's know, different. or at least it's a structure, you know, like white belts wear this. And, and it makes sense. And I've been on both sides of this, right? Like, when my brother and I started our gym, Freestyle Fighting Academy, back in 2001, we weren't ranked at all. We were, I was 19. My brother was 20. And we ran like a fight club. There was no uniform. You just come in whatever the hell you want. You know? And, yeah. and, it, and people ask, oh, what rank are you? I'm like, I don't have a rank. And they're like, oh, my cousin's a brown belt. I guess he could beat you. <laughs> and that's why we thought, oh, we yeah. sparred. I think I said yeah. that. Right? We yeah. sparred day one and we we're trying to kick you in the head and all that, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so when there was no rank, there was no uniform, there was nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. It's chaos. And people from the outside, they're looking, they're like, who's the coach? Because everybody's, yeah. it, it doesn't look uniform, you know? So there is, a, to me, a value in having that hierarchy in that organization. Yeah. And part of having a hierarchy is uniform, yeah. right? Like, and people don't like hearing the word, the C word, which is cult. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but jujitsu is a cult, yeah, it's whether like you it's, like it or not. It, the yeah. cult has a negative connotation to yeah. it. Call it a tribe. Same thing. Oh, really. I, mean, right. I mean, football fans are too. Yeah, it's it's all it's 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 it's, it's a social it's a, it's a piece of social glue. That's all it is. It bonds people because we have a common common rituals, common beliefs, common goals. Yeah. So therefore, we have common ideas. We band together. You're right, and there there are certain devices that are used by groups, cults, yeah. tribes, whatever yeah. you want to call yeah. them. Religion. Religion. Religion right. Are, politics. Yeah. And if you and you study them. There are certain things that all make them work. Yeah. And one of them is, of course, hierarchy. There has to be a ranking structure yeah. to know who is responsible for what yeah, or who yeah. has you know, certain power or whatnot. And in jiu-jitsu and the martial arts, we use belts, right? Yeah. Like you said, if you're in a religion, you have the pastor, you have the priest and yeah. you know, archbishop. But there's different ranks, right? And that's one of the things of being part of the membership. The other thing is uniform, right? Yeah. Same thing if you look at religion. They have different attire depending on yeah. what station they're at. And you just use your belt. You know, if you go like Freemasons and all that, they have different badges or different yeah. things they wear. So, like, it's part of the identity of the group, yeah. right? And when there isn't the established identity, then you don't really the know what you are. It's like it becomes herding cats. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen is, because I was exactly like, like this when I first started. When I opened my gym, I was again, if you hadn't mentioned uniforms curriculums hierarchy like any of these things i'm like get out of here man 
It's more like an anarchist. Like I just like it. As long as like everyone's on mass training, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I had to learn the hardest way possible that it does matter because yeah. people like structure. People like systems. People like hierarchies. They like, uh, and I will tell you, man, like when people walk in, new students walk in, they see everyone in uniform, <laughs> it's a wrap. They're sold because it shows them exactly what they're looking for. So, you know, people might be in the impression that people like walking in the gym and I want to have whatever I want. People don't, it's, it doesn't work. Like I've tried it. It yeah. doesn't. And not only that, everyone prefers the uniform. Like, look, for, for, the, for the school owner, you're, you're making more money. Yeah. And you're giving people the structure they want. People are more likely to sign up, right? So from a business perspective, it's, it's not even, sense. yes. Yeah. I now, I, I thought, well, I'm going to lose half my students once I impl- uh, apply the uniform policy, right? Like, for sure, half my affiliates and half my students are going to walk the window. I didn't, we didn't lose a single one. And there's some people that complain, you know, it's like, hey, man, you know, I, well, I let them wear their gi until, like, once your old gi dies and it's torn to shreds, then, you know, you buy a uniform. Is that okay? Okay. You know, and then that's the way I've been op- uh, working. And the truth is, people like the uniform because it comes with a patch too. Yeah. So you don't have to buy buying a patch and sewing on a patch is a pain in the butt. So that works um, well. And it's been very positive overall. Like people actually, I find that people prefer that. You For know, sure. and it's just like what's the another thing? There's one more thing I have to mention because a lot of students don't realize. If you're just a practitioner, you don't realize this. Your coach does a lot for you. That it goes well beyond the contract you signed. Now, every, every gym has a contract. If Maybe your gym doesn't have a contract, but there's some kind of agreement. There's like an established uh, um, ex, uh, expectation of what I do for you as yes. a coach and what you do provide the gym as a member. Like you pay me, I give you this, this, and that. And if you really that closely, what the gym promises you is basically class from six to seven or yeah. whatever. I'm telling you, like if I were to factor in the hours of work I put into my students where I wasn't on the clock, I mean, I'd be, I'd be rich now. Like, I mean, the amount of work I have done for my students, and I never charge them for that. When we're talking, like, coaching, we're talking them training on the side, we're talking, sometimes I drive to California, I fly to, just for yeah. them. I'm not getting paid. But, but coaches do this stuff all the time for free. So when a student is adamant about not supporting the gym, because he really wants to support Jeff Bezos and Amazon, because <laughs> i got to give that guy more money, not you, coach. Yeah. Right? That's the kind of student I don't even want, to be honest. You're not a team player. Like if you're like that, if you're really that serious about giving Amazon more money than your coach who's killing himself for you, and coaches don't make that much money. People think jujitsu gyms are super profitable. They're not. Like the reality on the ground is a lot harsher. It's not. It's not a well, walk mo- in the park. Most gyms have a hard time making money. No, but yeah. like, but okay, but okay. How many successful gyms are there? No, no, no. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah so for the, sure. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. They, most gyms the have a hard time. The reality is money. like it's yeah. super hard. So when your coach was like has like 50, 100 students, he's struggling, man. And you, know, you really want to give Amazon that money and not your coach? It's kind of like almost like, you know what, man? Maybe you shouldn't be part of the team. That You're not a team player. If you're that serious about supporting someone else who's done nothing, who does nothing for you, that's the thing. That's like my biggest thing. Is like this person or this brand you really want to represent is not sponsoring. They don't do anything for you. Yeah. You know, like I go out of my way for you guys. Like what? what is it about? What's the resistance? You know, so... Um, I don't apologize for it. Like I started that way, exactly where Kevin Keenan thinks is it that would that would have been me ten years ago. Yeah, I changed my mind completely because it doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's not as sustainable. And even like I think as far as even structuring it so that they have like fixed schedules and all that. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of gyms they like saying just come whenever you want. Yeah, and to me that's not a good thing for a variety of reasons. One, you don't know how big your classes are going to become. Yeah. 
if people start moving all one day, one the other, and then you have too many people in a class and you can't devote enough attention to them. That's a problem. The second thing is it's harder to create habits. Yeah. Because, I mean, the biggest thing that we're combating is, you know, being in the fitness space, which martial arts is, is establishing habits, right? Because yeah. essentially people, instead of coming to your classroom, you know, uh, 6.30 to 8 or whatever, they're watching TV or yeah. they're doing something else. And it's probably not as good for them as training martial arts would be. And we have to replace that block of time where they're doing something that's not constructive with this. And it's more difficult because it's easy to sit on the couch, not easy to go drive to the gym, get your butt kicked, and then come back out. And to train them just to set that time on that one day or like two days, like Wednesday and Monday, you know, it takes like weeks, you know, generally I think they say about six weeks to internalize a habit. And then when you say, well, you just come whenever you want. Now they don't have to come to those days. So when I miss Wednesday, I'm like, oh, I'll come on Thursday. And then when yeah, Thursday comes, it's oh, a good point. I'll I come thought about that. Then, oh, I'll just come Friday. And then maybe it, it just keeps procrastinating because yeah. you have this free will where they say, oh, I can come whenever I want. But it doesn't hold you accountable. Tyranny right? of choice. Yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> yeah. have too many decisions to make, and, right? And, and then, it's, and as, it even work, as the yeah. coach, you don't know who you're accountable for now, yeah. right? Because you're like, well, I don't have a roster because people come whenever they want. So I, if I don't see this guy come in on Wednesday, yeah, I guess he's going to come in some yeah. other day, you know. But if I know, like, for our gyms, like, it's a, we have the schedule, so I know. Okay, these are the guys. This is my guy. He didn't show up today, you know. I can follow up with them, text, call, whatever. So from the business end, I have accountability. And then from the student end, there's also accountability because he knows he's supposed to be there that day, right? And it's easier for him to make that habit to show up. So I do agree with you. Like, the structure is important. The uniform is important, you know. And, 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 people, in. and people like it, man. Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right. Like, when you when you set it up, like, in the beginning, everybody, especially if you're making a change. Yes, people hate change. It know? doesn't matter what it is. I could be yeah. saying, hey, guys, everybody, we're going to give you brand new geese. You're like, well, oh, God, but I like my old geese. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they'll fight you over. They'll fight you over the most idiotic Yeah, the, everybody that. will resist the change. Yeah. It's just a human <laughs> tendency, you know? Yeah. There's, there's people always, like to complain. Yeah. Complain is, like, it's, it's entertaining for some people. But it's it's just a tendency everybody's going to be scared or whatever you know so even if it's good for them to change you know and uh, I for the most part as a coach I feel that we have the most experience in the yeah. matter so we're we're able to make the best decision in that regard you know and the people say oh well I don't like that coach well then you find a new coach Yeah, you got the choice to to find someone who's who caters to your style but I think if you get to start with a new foundation, that's the best time to lay out all the, the great, you know, rules. So everybody coming in is already in court and you don't have to make those changes midway. Yeah. Which are always a little rockier, you yeah. know. So like like a young guy like Keenan, I want his gym to be very successful. Yeah. I want him to do great, you know. I want so, everyone to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, just, so yeah. I feel like while there's a good marketing approach to this and he's going to get a lot of pats on the back from people. Yeah. Are not training with him, he's shooting himself in the foot, right? Because you're catering to it, like yeah. at least you know, maybe I'm wrong, you know, and hopefully I am, and it works out great for him. But a lot of people will tell you stuff online, like, Oh, that's awesome. But again, most of those people already train somewhere, yeah, and they're probably not in San Diego where you're yeah. gonna be opening your gym. So while everybody's saying kudos, great job, like those are not the people that you generally how are many people want. are gonna leave their current gym for that, though? That's another thing, even some of the ones that aren't in San Diego, how many are gonna leave? 
their current gym. I mean, some of them are on the verge of leaving. They're going to leave for a different reason, regardless of uniforms. Right. But it's it sounds like eh, I'm going to be the, the leader of the rebels. Let's start a revolution kind of thing. But because, I think long term, it's just yeah, it's not a good idea. It, because it, it, I think the tendency, and this is where the sports have been going for, for years, all sports, they lean towards uniformization. They lean towards systems, rules. and It's just a natural tendency of, of sports. And martial arts is the same way. Jiu-Jitsu has always been a little behind, but it's catching up. And one thing that's been consistent throughout martial arts, the BJJ at least, is that Gracie Baja has been leading the trends. And if you, you can take this back. Gracie Baja invented the affiliation system. Like, it doesn't exist in a lot of other martial Maybe other martial arts have it. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know. I, my suspicion is not very common, but they was Carlinos Gracie invented it when it's like he realized that Healy was very controlling. Healy was like, he, if, if, you, if we had a Helio Gracie's way, there would be no one teaching jiu-jitsu other than him. Right. He was like, no, 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 you got to teach. So when Carlson opened his gym, that was a problem. When Holes Gracie opened the gym, that was a problem. Every person that opened a gym that is outside of his gym became his competitor in some way, and he's a very controlling individual, right? And even though he played a very important role in development of jiu-jitsu and resisting judo, he at the same time, like, was not the right, like, it's like every phase needed the right person, the right person was there. Like, Carlinos Gracie was that guy. So I heard this story from Carlinos Gracie himself when we interviewed him for the documentary. And when Soka, which was one of the first ADCC champions, um, wanted to open the gyms, like, Master Carlinos, I, I, I don't know how to do anything else. I really want to open a gym. I got to pay my bills. I got to feed my family. But I don't want to ever stop being your student. I've been thankful for everything you taught me. I, what do we do? And Carlinos goes, just go over there, call the Gracie Baja, and he continued to be my student. Okay, perfect. And that's how they started. This was in, like, the 19... 80s maybe maybe early 90s i'm not sure when it started but my point is they've always been ahead of the curve yeah right so now we're following suit alliance is following suit it's just a matter of time before like i think check madden out are making those moves too it's just a natural tendency of the sport and students prefer it that's the that's the thing even if they resisted initially now that we've we've passed that curve at the gym students prefer it they don't have to worry about patches like, and they hate that. Like, the patch is the biggest, it's a hassle. No one wants that, man. Yeah. So it's just like you get, and then at the end of the day, you're not spending more money. You're spending the same amount of money you would be buying if you were be buying. Yeah, online, online or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah, it doesn't make that much sense other than wanting to have the freedom of choice, right? That's about it. People are, oh, I want to choose my own stuff. I'm like, yeah, why? You're like, it's, and, and it's only the old stuff. But jiu-jitsu, one thing that's constant, too, in, 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 in any gym is that it's constantly recycling people. As the new ones come in with the new systems, they don't. It's normal. They don't complain. It's, they like it. Like parents love it. Parents walk in, man. Like you can see, they just like oh. And none of that. Like in other sports too. If you're in hockey or anything you do, you're gonna get your kids started in soccer. You're gonna spend some money in uniforms. Of course, that's standard, right? Yeah. Parents are expecting it. I remember the f- first ten years I had my gym, we didn't have this. Parents would like with a checkbook in hand, like, oh, how much in uniforms? And I'd be like, uh, we don't have uniforms. He's like, oh. Okay, put the checkbook away. He's like, guys, ready to write me a check. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, you know, it's it's counter, it, it's just counterproductive. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in the long term. Yeah, and I think uh, getting back to that point, when you're pandering to like an online audience, that's not really going to be your market. It yeah. deceives you on what are the right decisions to make. Yeah. Right. Like everybody thinks, oh, I remember when I started training, and then we had our own school. I'm like, how do we get the word out? Oh, I have to win a lot of tournaments. That's how yeah. people are going to start respecting me. Like, you know, the only people following jujitsu are guys who are already doing jujitsu. Yeah. 
those are not the people that you want in your school because they're already doing jujitsu somewhere else. Yeah. The amount of people that you're going to be able to poach from other gyms is very slim. And you got to fight. It's you got to fight for that, man. It's, yeah. And it's yeah, I agree. And then, and then the other thing is, if they're able to move from one gym to the other, there's nothing stopping them from moving from your gym to the next one. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's not like it's like taking someone's lover away from them. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you can't really. She cheated on you. She's gonna cheat on him. Exactly. She cheated on him. She's gonna cheat on you. Man. You're, you're yeah. gonna have a harder time holding on to that one, right? You know, so you want like a new audience, you know, and those people are not tuned in yet. So they probably yeah. don't have a uniform yet or anything yeah. like that. So why are they going to care where they get it from? Yeah. You know, so I don't know. That, that's just my opinion. You know, for like Keenan, like I said, Keenan's I think. He, and for yeah. the school owner, too, it's advantageous yeah. because you get rid of the competition. Like mm-hmm. when the school, the school, every school, like this is like perfectly advantageous. You, why would you want to compete with other people? Like your gym should be a store, too. Yeah, you know, and yeah, people are idealistic when they start because like, oh, it's all about jujitsu. And as soon as the bills start coming, you realize like this doesn't make sense unless I'm making money. And it's it, there's, it you can't train, you can't teach people unless you're making something yourself. Otherwise, you're just gonna do something else, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, so I, I think yeah, for sure. Uh, don't be all hippie with it, the yeah. uniform policy and all of that. You yeah. know, make your own uniform. You have a cool brand already. If you're gonna do that. Legion and all that. Might as well design your geese and have people yeah. buy those. You know, it's not a big deal. It's, yeah. a, it's a small expense. But at the same time, if he changes his mind ten years from now, people are going to use. It. <laughs> it's too late now. It's yeah, late. it's like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter when you do it. It's always yeah. going to be the case. You know, yeah. especially now where everything's archived. Every decision oh, you've yeah. ever made. Oh, dude. I forgot. People I, don't let it go. There's someone who remembers. Man. Yeah, I yeah. think I was listening to a podcast. Oh, I think it was Edward Snowden. He was yeah. on Joe Rogan and they did an interview. And he was saying anybody born after 1987, every phone call they've made has already been logged. All right? So, like, wow. if you're born after that date, essentially there's nothing secret about it. Someone knows every every dirty thing, every everything you've ever said. Yeah. Yes, and especially now. It's out like there. I think some of them they just have the record of the call, not necessarily the content. But like nowadays, they have the content. You yeah, have your text messages, you have the emails. Every, there's nothing sacred. So yeah, everybody can pull out whatever you've done. So it's harder to make mistakes in this day and age because you're going to be held a lot more accountable. Oh, 100 percent. But I think it's yeah. more just owning up to the fact that everybody's doing these types of silly things. They're just now more known. Like you could, you could have kept your secrets much better back in the fifties. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or there if, wasn't cameras all over the place watching you. you know there wasn't funny. digital records. The CIA in the nineteen fifties during the Cold War would have killed. Oh yeah. To have that kind of information that people volunteer on Facebook daily. Yeah. It's like they was their job to like, you know, basically or the NS uh, 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 the NSA like to basically monitor their own citizens for suspect uh, suspicious activities, yeah. right? And here we are volunteering this information online, not just for the government, for everyone to see, right? In fact, I want to make sure that you know at what restaurant I was and what I was eating at 2 p.m. today. Yeah. People like like every second of every move and be sure, like, there's a log of everything you put on the internet, every Google search. For sure. That's why I think it must have been funny. Like, if you would have told somebody this, like, 30, 40 years ago, hey, people are going to volunteer all this information yeah. for free. Like, no way. Nobody's there's crazy. No, Nobody's going to no do, do that. No one's doing that. Everybody yeah. respects their own privacy. Like, no, yeah. not really. You ever, you ever read uh, 1984, George Orwell? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. You know, By the way, if you ever watched that movie, V for Vendetta, it is based off a comic. And the comic is based off of, it's inspired by the 1984 Beautiful. novel because it's, it's a very similar theme. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a book everybody should read. Everyone should read, yeah. 
you hear the reference all the time and people have the idea oh it's about big brother yeah, yeah that's the easy way of describing it but when you actually read how it was done and then that's when people tell you like they didn't realize 1984 was a warning not yeah. a, a manual of how to do yeah. it and, and <laughs> which is, is what it looks like a lot of people really when orwell wrote that book he a lot of people think oh he was it was a criticism of stalinism and leninism and that's what they assumed that he was writing about clearly he's writing about the direction the soviet union is taking yeah but if you knew orwell orwell was actually a communist yeah. he wasn't writing about the soviet union he was writing about well, Orwell was like a democratic-leaning communist, right? Different branch, but like he was, um, he was a uh, um, which complicated. I know it sounds complicated these days, but and those like and that's <laughs> yeah. how he would define himself, right? Right, right. leaning on anarchism, but um, but he was writing about the world. He was writing about governments. He was writing the power structure in general. He wasn't writing about the Soviet Union specifically, as yeah. a lot of people assumed he was. And like this is, I mean, we're not gonna, we're not to. I mean, you let it happen; it's gonna happen in your own free country. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, lo and behold, here we are in the freest, most democratic, or one of the oldest democracies in the world, and the government has access to every single little piece of information about you. They, the Facebook knows more about you than you know you know about yourself, which is mind-boggling when you really think about it. But yeah. like, we're living 1984, and you know, it's not the Soviet Union. Yeah, no, it, it is a very. Uh interesting yet scary proposition where you have these big companies that own all this data yeah and they're buying it. it's super valuable yeah no no it's, it's there's a documentary about this i just watched it the other day i can't remember it's on netflix it's about exactly this like how it's home these corporations are amassing all this metadata and they're they're selling it to political parties yeah and they were like basically um you know, giving them the credits for winning the election for Trump because they knew so much about the audience that their ads were so targeted that they were just hitting the nail on the head over and over and over. It's like Hillary was just like missing the target all the time because they didn't have that same kind of data. Yeah. It, but it was something to the extent of like Facebook having something like 5,000 personality traits on every single one of their users, like on, on average, right, like five thousand. Right. Like, if you had to write down five thousand things about yourself, Dave, I guarantee you, you wouldn't would be able to. It, it would take a long five thousand. Like I don't time. think I can. I get like three hundred. I'd be like, I'm out of things to talk about. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else. What else? I have no idea. Yeah. Facebook has like an average something like five thousand personality traits or like things about you that would be very valuable to you know a, a political party or no you know, for sure because once you you understand your behavior company really. yeah then they can predict what things you would like what things you would do with what's going to work on you and what's not going to work on you with a very good level of accuracy maybe not per person but over a sample size of like 10 million people yeah you can get good numbers out of that yeah. you know it's it'll be interesting if we ever get that type of data about jujitsu <laughs> dying for it, like yeah. you get five thousand data points on, yeah, on my your, opponent, on your opponent. Like okay, and then yeah. extrapolate, put it into a computer. Give yeah. me the game plan that's gonna crush this guy. Yeah. You know? So I, I think BJJ Heroes is the only website. I think they have done a statistics a few times, and I it's to me it's crazy that we haven't really dug into this more. Have you ever seen that movie Moneyball? No, I haven't. Everyone should watch. If you train, you should watch Moneyball. It's uh, basically story it's a true story apparently of of a baseball coach and he revolutionized baseball because baseball was very much like where bjj is right now where the trends are leading the, the how people hire how they train right so if there's a trend or like we're going to hire based off of tradition like this is how we've always done things right gotcha. and no one was looking at the numbers and this guy this character played by this coach is played by brad pitt 
And he goes, like, what you think is irrelevant, it's what the numbers say that matters. So he started hiring players based off their statistics. The mm-hmm. only thing he was, so he started building a team based off statistics. And he was saving a lot of money while he was doing it, too. And I was like, there's no way this is going to work, right? Because he was breaking with tradition. And he basically revolutionized baseball. And I, from then onwards, everyone started basically looking at the math and what the math was. And it was like, you hire people, you, you do things, you prepare people based off what the numbers have to say, right? And to me, it's always a reminder of how people should train their, train themselves and train their, their students in jiu-jitsu is not based off of trends, but based off of statistics, numbers. Like, you know, I'm going to have to say this again, like ADCC, what was the main factor? Wrestling, right? To me, like, my, re- the, 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 the number of the, the, the training in wrestling in my gym has been going up over the years, and I'm yeah. more convinced than ever that's for those people who want to win ADCC, it's like half the equation, at least half the equation. But the problem is people don't like to train wrestling because wrestling is brutal. It's very, very hard. Yeah. Which is ironic because the second you put them in competition, what do they do? <laughs> they wrestle. It's like yeah. they don't like to train it, but when they compete, that's what they do. But that's how we should be preparing our students is based off of what the numbers are saying. And there's not a lot out there. I you really know, wish there yeah, were more. In MMA, there's a lot more stats for sure. Like yeah. now you can see like UFC on on their website. They'll And then when they do their play-by-plays and whatnot, they're showing you know how many failed takedowns or succeeded takedowns, strikes, kicks. So... They're getting those type of numbers more, but right now that's only, from my understanding at least, in the UFC that they have all those stats, which is great, but it kind of doesn't mean anything because there's only UFC athletes. Yeah. If you had that type of database for all athletes in mixed martial arts competing, then you could make good like hiring decisions. Like, okay, this guy has this type of finishing rate, he this the striking rate, this type of takedown defense rate. He's going to be a good athlete. We'll bring him into the UFC or yeah. some other similar league, similar to like what you're saying with baseball, because it makes sense. Baseball stats are really prominent. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to calculate those stats too, because the way the game is played. You know, like I think a sport like MMA or jiu-jitsu is a lot harder. It's very subjective, right? There's a lot of like things yeah. that are less like you know black or white. But for example, like one one that I always remember, something I suspected was it. I was right about a lot of things, and I was wrong about a few of them. Yeah. But one of them was that the most common path to submission was passing your opponent turtles. Yeah. You get to the back and you choke. Yeah, for sure. Which is like it makes sense to me. That sounds yeah. about right. The most common submissions were all from the back, which. Uh, you know, confirms the other one. And then most common takedowns, I think, were double, single, drop, Suenagi, and Kataguruma. I think those were the most formal top so the takedowns, which sound about right, you know? Sure, yeah. The Kataguruma is like, I don't see them very often. I think it was like that was what would have been four down the list. From memory, I could be wrong here, but I'm just quoting from memory a few years ago. And then, you know, it's funny because I remember this well. I was having like mutiny at the gym because I wasn't showing enough Berimbolo. So I'm like, well, first of all, like three quarters of my students can't do it. Yeah. I'm not going to focus on something. I'll, I'll show, I'm not Paulo Miao, but like I'll show, you know, the best of my ability, what I think what the fundamentals are, but I'm not going to change my program because, you know, you and like three other people really, really want to do this. But that was like when it was first exploded, like maybe six, seven years ago, whatever it was. And everyone just wanted to work on that. I remember there's one statistic that, like, it was just showing the most common sweeps. And the most common sweep in, in IBJJF tournaments, the black belt level was, the number one was 50-50, which every, surprises everyone. But it explains, as soon as you understand the seesaw, like, yeah, it's the easy. back and it's forth, it messes there. up the ratio. Yeah. It doesn't really belong there, but it's it a, makes sense because of that, right? Yeah. But anyway, you got to train because the most common sweep, you got to train. Yeah. But number two and three, I don't remember if it was closed guard and half guard or half guard and closed guard. 
which really, like, I mean, I, I was expecting them to be high up, but it was even less, uh, the, the, the burial bowls were less prominent than I even thought they were. Something like 4 or 5% of the sweeps. Yeah. So it wasn't even close to the whole story. It was like a very small piece of the story. So why are we going to put this laser-like focus on the things that are like not the high percentage ones versus like focusing on the high percentage moves, you know? And, but that's like when you tell this to BJJ people, it's almost like they, it's, they're like, they understand it rationally, but they're so emotionally attached. We were talking about this with Kit the other day about emotional attachment to the yeah. moves. And like, that's a great way to put it because it's exactly what it is. You're emotionally attached to a vision of what you're going to be doing you compete. And even if your beliefs or your wishful thinking contradicts what the numbers are, you still like, but no, this is what I got to be doing. I'm like, but look at the numbers. Yeah. And I've explained this in class and I still get people like looking up like, but if that's the best move, it would be the most common thing on the internet. And I'm like, it's not how things, that's exactly yeah. the point, you know. But it's very difficult to have that rational, logical approach to things we're so emotionally invested in. It is a great point. And it's something I always tell people, like, if you want to get all these numbers, right, for yourself, like the stats, like, what, what's my best takedown historically? What's my best submission, you know, and all the, my past sweep, it requires you to take notes. Yeah. Right? Or, or more precisely, it requires you to measure yourself. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a common saying that says, what isn't measured isn't improved. Right? Yeah. Because you won't know. It's a very good one, yeah. Yeah, because it's like running without timing yourself. Yeah. You don't know if you got faster or slower. You can guess, but you want to know, right? So it's the same thing with your jiu-jitsu. You have to take notes. After every training session, if you're a diligent student, That's a good point. measure yourself. Okay, how did I do today? What were my winning positions? What were my losing positions? How did I lose? How did I win? You know, and if I used to do this for wrestling. I, would, I have journals. I had to bring them by one day. I had like three or four journals. I would just write notes nonstop. And... Uh, it's how I develop my game plan. That's good and smart. All right, because I would learn, okay, where is my strong suicide? For me, wrestling, underhook was always a strong position for me. Far knee block, head inside single leg. Yeah. Those were my takedowns, and so I always focused on those. But like, likewise, recording matches. I think nowadays it's very common because it's easy. But yeah. back in the day, it wasn't. It was a pain in the butt. It was a pain in the butt. Yeah. You would have to get someone to record. It was by tape. Yeah, it was by tape. My brother, I think my brother and I were one of the first people doing that because we would record every match. We were doing it from high school wrestling. We would record Smart. matches and then we would watch them afterwards. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, okay, this is where we messed up. Well, you have a database too now. Yeah. I don't have that. I wish yeah. I did. That, that's, again, kind of out of necessity as well because we didn't have coaches. My brother and I were our coaches. So how do we learn something we don't know what we're doing? We watch, right? Like I learned how to play half guard after I grappled Gordo. I lost to him. He swept me with a last minute half guard sweep and beat me. And this was back like in 2001. And I was like, okay, what did he do? And then I watched the match like a hundred times. Yeah. And I studied the different half guards. Yeah. He used like two of them on me. And then I just did those in training all the time. And then I learned how to play a half guard, you know, but I needed to film because I didn't have another way, but it's, now you can buy any DVD and stuff like that, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. still better to see yourself training. Like, even just in regular training, film yourself sparring. You'll be surprised that the stuff you're doing or that you don't realize you know, that you're doing. It, it takes a kind of discipline that I don't have. I'm very, very, always bad about this, but there was a minute there where I was, was recording my sparring sessions. And even though I'm no, like, great striker, I've never been, I find that my, the advice I was giving myself after watching tape 
was better than the advice my coaches were giving me. And I don't mean this in an arrogant yeah, way. Yeah. It's because, like, I'm seeing stuff. I'm more critical of myself. Yeah. And, you know, if you have, like, 20 people you got to coach, you probably can only give, so you know, so much time to each student. If in most jiu-jitsu gyms work exactly like this, right? Yeah. Most gyms, you're going like, to have, like, 20, 30 people, one coach. It's hard to, you know, you're not. But when you're watching yourself, it's all about you, right? And I was, like, notice all these bad habits that I had. I'm like, wow, like, I can't believe no one ever told me about this. You know, so that's a very good idea if you can record yourself or just keep track log of like what your train session was. I've always wanted to do this and I recommend it. I've never done it because like I said, I'm not very disciplined in this regard. Um, like there are days where I'd be in the gym, maybe you're gonna relate to this. I just felt like a million dollars physically. Sure. Like I, I don't know what it was. I just like I'm performing, like my body's responding, my mind's sharp, like I don't I do get tired, but like not like all lethargic, tired, like I can keep going kind of tired, you know? And there were days where I just like feel like crap. And I always wondered if it had to do with like sleeping patterns, eating patterns, um, you know, like, you know, going to the bathroom, like all these other things that in your life that maybe emotional issues, like who knows, like all these other factors that may be impacting your performance but we're not aware of. So I always tell myself, man, I gotta start keeping a log. The next time I have a really good session, I have to go back like as far back as I can and remember everything I ate, what time I went to bed, and just like trying to keep the log of that so I can replicate those good days for tournaments. Yes. You know, but it, I just never did it. You know, that's the beauty of technology today because I was doing this on paper. It's a pain in the ass. It required a lot of discipline because I would write down everything I eat, when I fell asleep, when I woke up, how I felt when I woke up, and all the food, when I ate it, how much water training wow, sessions that's legit so but it took a lot of effort right and you know it, it was only during competition windows i would be able to i'd be willing to do put that type of effort you know what i mean because outside just normal living uh, no it's too much work but now like I, you know the last one i showed the, my fitness pal and all that i do that every day i've been doing it for over a year now easy i write down what i eat no problem and it records it this thing a fitbit tracks when i wake up when i sleep my heart rate everything so it's a lot less, everything's pretty much known about me almost automatically at this yeah. point, right? So it's easier to get those data points. Like, okay, I had a good training session today and I felt great. I can see it well. I slept a full seven and a half hours. I ate this at this time. I had this amount of time before. So, so you have to input, input what you what you eat, right? What, what I eat. Thing. That's yeah. the only thing I'll be putting in. This is tracking and your sleep automatically. And it's connected to your phone, right? And it's connected to my phone. Okay, so what's it called again? This is the Fitbit okay, Charge Fitbit 3. sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, please. We're like, yeah, no, we need a sponsor. <laughs> and my fitness pal, while you're at yeah. it. Yeah. Why not, right? So... But uh, these type of things, you can tra track those things with you. So yeah. for athletes nowadays, this is cheap. Like what? Uh, for if you're a professional athlete or just someone inspired me, this is a hundred bucks, right? And you already have yeah. a phone, and then the app is free. So like and the iPhone, I, I, I watch doesn't do that. The Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all it do. does do that too. I think the, uh, I have one. I just never use it. I yeah. just I use, I use it for the time, and like I got my phone for that. So I should probably you know make use of that. But that's a, like I I'm becoming more. I watched a documentary the other day because it was like everyone's insisting called Game Changer. Did you watch it? No, no. They're basically pushing veganism, and I like some things about it. Like you talk about like plant based diet, but they yeah. really explain what plant based is you know because like I it's a big category yeah. you know uh it was it was like hosted by the guy fought in the ufc john john wilkes i can't remember his name now but uh he's a ufc guy and um it was an inspiration because it was like yeah, i should probably eat more greens 
like I'm like more of a meat kind of guy. Dude, I'm so so meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they made some good points. I think that they push it to the extreme. I don't think that stop eating meat is healthy. I really don't believe it. I don't think veganism is healthy personally. Yeah. But I think we eat way too much meat. I think that if I can come back back my meat by, at least by eat half of what I'm eating right now, I thought I feel like I'll probably feel better. But um, it was there was some good points there about like performance and nutrition and like yes i was like it kind of made me think a little bit even though some things to me like didn't really add up there the data seemed a little faulty on on some ends but um yeah i, I think that I, I am at an age where i'm just turned 38 now i gotta start watching out because i never really care when you're 20s you really just don't care you just yeah. go your body just respond like wolverine man like and i'm like you know what i should probably start being worried about my heart and you know what i'm eating and i put on a lot of weight i'm trying to you know i'm not fat you know but like i could see myself getting there you know if i don't start i mean like i'm moving in that direction if i'm not careful and it's funny because i eat less you know but yeah. your metabolism slows down so sure. you start putting on weight a lot faster and i just don't want to be that guy man i like to want to i want to be a fat dad you know right right no yeah. you gotta set a good example for your kids also your, kids right? your students man like yeah in general, exactly right? i know? think it's I'm part not... of the integrity of, of... I'm not, a good I'm, yeah, I'm not picking on people who are overweight, yeah. but it's it's it is it is an aspect of, of what we do is sure. you know being a role model in that regard. Yeah, it's not the only one, or the most important for that matter. Yeah, I think it is. You know, your your health at the end of the day is everything. Without yeah. your health, you have nothing. Yeah. You don't have a good physical body. You can't move. You can't yeah. do things, and then it affects your mind. And then yeah, I tell you, like your physiology affects everything with your mind. You know, if you feel like crap physically you will feel like crap mentally. Yeah. It translates, right? And it goes both ways. Like if you have a poor posture, like you walk around with your head slouched and yeah. shoulders slumped, it's going to affect the way you think. Yeah. Right? And, true. And, you know, it's like a downward spiral. There, because they, There's they start, research on that. Yeah, they start feeding each other. Yeah. Likewise, if I, if I have a good posture and I'm chest out, looking forward, it's going to affect the way I think. And then, so you can go either way, you know, or your, your thoughts are bad and your posture is bad, fix your posture. And then the uh, thoughts tend to follow the research i saw there's a really good book everyone should read it. it's called think fast think slow by daniel kane he's a very accomplished psychologist and he makes a point i think it might have been on, on that book everyone should read think fast think slow but i'm not sure i got this piece of research from that book it might have been someone else but it's basically that when you're, if you're sad if you're not feeling good if you force yourself to smile or sing or show your teeth it actually affects your well-being conversely if you're really happy but if you frown it actually affects because our body language, right, or our facial expressions in this case, is directly linked to our emotions. Yeah. So you're, it's the point you're making. Like if you walk around like this, you're probably going to start feeling insecure. So if you are insecure, open up your shoulders and put your head up. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was that kid when I, before I started training. Like it just, I wasn't, I didn't know I was insecure. Maybe I probably was a lot more than I realized, but it was just my natural posture was this. This yeah. is how I sat down. And I think I had to do with I was so weak. You know, I was a pretty like, skinny kid. I had no muscles to hold my back up. It was only after jujitsu that my posture opened up. And I think I think muscle development has something to do with that. But I think a lot of it had to do with my confidence. You know, like looking back, and I I was I see I, I was insecure probably even more than I realized at the time. You know, but I think these things they 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 interact with one another. For sure, they they link just like people can read your body language or understand how you're feeling. Your body does the same thing, and yeah. you, you know exactly. You smile, and you have association. Whenever you smile, that means you're happy. Yeah. Right. So if you force a smile, 
there's something in there that's saying, yeah. well, this this is this is yeah. a precursor to being happy. You know, you know? What, what does that? What does it for me is like Bob Marley always works for me, especially like the like <laughs> singing the woman. I, I, yeah. I, if I, if I'm like having a bad day, I'll blast out in my car and I'll force myself to sing the song from beginning to end. And I can't explain, but it actually helps. No, of course it would. Like, yeah. it's just like, I'll force my, no matter how shitty I am, I'll blast the volume in my car, and I'm singing Bob Marley on the way to the jam. And by the time I stop there, I'm like, I could feel a little bit better. And the song is in your head now. Yeah. So it's like, singing, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. You know? Yeah, the, 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 the lyrics and the song no, itself. A hundred percent, you know, and it just puts you in the right mood. You know, because at the end of the day, you control what's going in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when we talk about this a little bit with Kit, people think emotions, and even with uh, uh, Mikey, that yeah. you're, you control your emotions. It's just you have to take charge of them. If you don't, a lot of people let their emotions run them, yeah. right? Like, they feel sad. Okay, now that means I'm sad. Like, no, you can change that if you want. But you have to make the conscious effort to do it. That's why people who are depressed generally have a hard time getting out of it, right? Because mm -hmm. they're very depressed. What do depressed spiral? Yeah. What do depressed people do? They isolate themselves. Yeah. They hide in the corner somewhere, and they are usually, you know, crying or lying down in bed, weak body posture. So everything about their environment only is going to fuel it. more depression, right? So like, you want to get someone undepressed, you got to yank them out of yeah. where they're at, right? Like I, I know there was a point I was like that, and then I was doing the same thing. I would hermit myself. I just go in a room. I was playing like online poker and. <laughs> other stupid stuff that was not helping me at all you know yeah i had to get yanked out of there yeah and uh then you, once you're outside of your depression bubble then things start looking a little cheerier you know yeah but when you keep yourself in that environment it's only going to make you worse yeah. right so you know if you're not that deep in you can obviously take care of yourself yeah. that's you a know? good thing for another podcast we should extend on that one yeah we should extend on that one but like you're, you're right like i think there's these things a lot of the um yeah, they, they interact with one another more than what we realize. Yeah. Um, I think to wrap this up on the last thing we touched on before we went on down that rabbit hole yeah. was just, uh, I think, I think something important to me is the tracking and the measuring, right? That's like, huge, yeah. yeah. If you guys do that, I remember with Kit Dale, we were doing that. We were, I was filming all the sparring sessions that we did. And then when we would come home, I would, just, we'd, yeah. we'd watch them and we're like, okay, look, you see, this is where you went wrong here, or this is something that you did good that you should do more of. You know, yeah, just for to, for ADCC preparation. But everybody could do that. You know, there's nothing stopping you from filming yourself train and just watching yourself because you're going to realize. And sometimes, like you said, it's better when you see it yourself because your coach can tell you, put your hands up, put your hands up, and, like, you don't pay attention to it. But then you watch yourself on video. You're like, oh, God, <laughs> my yeah. hands are down here the whole time. Yeah. Like, you don't really, like, from the third party, you're like, whatever. But, like, when you see it yourself, you're like, oh, I remember... Uh, I was watching one of my fights, and I saw that every time I jabbed, my hand was, I was doing a little bit of a lazy jab. I'm like, oh, God, I, can't. I, was, I cringed looking at it. I'm like, this is such bad technique. Because it's reality check. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's never happening again. It sucks. Again. Yeah, yeah. That's never happening again now. But like, it's something that you have to do yourself. So I definitely encourage people, you know, film yourself, measure, measure yourself. You know, you get one of these things. Put the stuff on your phone. I make my daughters yeah. repeat it every day. What is discipline? And they'll tell you. You can ask them. Discipline is doing the things you don't like to do. <laughs> because yeah. it's it's everything. 
it's everything. Like you, you can't get anywhere without discipline. Like I don't always want to teach or always want to train or I don't always want to run. I mean, everyone runs sprints, for example. <laughs> but like you, 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 if you have to do it, you just like shut up. Don't give yourself the option, you know. Yeah. And this is where, like, where a good coach comes in place or boss. Like the reason why you get those reports done on time is because your boss will fire your ass if you don't. Whereas, like, if when you're your own boss, it's so much harder because, like, I'm not, like, no one tells me when to do stuff. I just know I got to do it. They're like, I can do it tomorrow. And I can. I can do it next week if I want. But everything else gets held back because of that, right? I got to yeah. constantly remind myself, um, like, man, you got to get this done. You got to get this done. And, like, even, like, sometimes I don't want to get on the computer and write. I gotta, like, I'm, like, I'm behind, like, 20 emails. And I, I'm like, oh, man, it gives me anxiety just opening that computer. Here come the problems, you know? Like, I hate this. But I force myself to do it now. Because that's how I make progress in my life. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I forgot who said this, but essentially a lot of people rely on motivation to get things done. And motivation drains, right? Yeah. I, I always talk about it as a motivation is a cup with a hole in the bottom, right? You fill it and then it slowly leaks yeah. out of you. And if that's, it's maintenance to keep yourself motivated. You have to yeah. constantly expose yourself to motivational material to keep filling that cup yeah. faster than it leaks. But discipline essentially is a safeguard of that. Yeah. Discipline doesn't give a crap about anything else. It's just you always do it. Doesn't matter, you yeah. know. Like so, if you're not a highly motivated individual, or you have a hard time getting motivated, then becoming highly disciplined will keep you from needing to be so motivated. Because discipline is just like you said, it's do or die. Yeah. You, know? you don't give yourself. The choice. You don't give yourself the choice of going to work or going home after work or whatever. Yeah. You just like just have certain habits. It's like it's beyond that. You have to create that habit. Like we'll go back to what you were talking earlier about habits. Yeah. And you don't give yourself the option. The second you're giving yourself the option whether you're going to go train or not, you're on the wrong track. Yeah. The option is not on the table. One of the models of the gym was always like not training is not an option. Yeah. And I live by that. You know, like my students every now and then, like I'm not feeling well. Fuck, I'm exhausted today. But like, oh, what about that? Not training is not an option thing. I'm like, yeah. I bit myself in the ass with that one. You know, like some days I'm exhausted. I don't feel like training. Like tonight, I'm still jet lagged. I just came in from Europe yesterday. Yeah, I'm probably drag my ass, my ass to the to the mats. You know, but it's 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 a good thing not to give yourself the option and just like push through no matter you know how you feel. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and when you do it enough. For example, like some of this stuff is kind of monotonous with the logging, the measuring, if you're putting stuff down. But over time, you come to look into it because once you start seeing numbers and the numbers start moving the way you want them to, now you're like, oh, I can't wait to measure myself now and see what improvement yeah, I made, yeah. right? Like if you're if you're monitoring yourself and, okay, I shot five takedowns and I scored one takedown. Like, oh, that wasn't that good. And the next day, I look and now I scored two out of five. Hey, I'm getting better. And then as the numbers move up, now you're eager to measure yourself because you're that's, seeing that's, numbers going in the right way. But the beginning, as you're saying, is not usually pretty because it's a new thing and chances are the numbers aren't good when you're starting. Yeah. Right? Or you're just getting the baseline numbers. Like, okay, now it's looking for those improvements. Six weeks to create a habit, you said? Yeah. There we go, guys. Start today. Okay, six weeks to create weeks to create those good habits. Yep, yep. Um, Dave, we got to finish. I yes, got to go. I got to reply to those 20 plus emails. <laughs> pick up my kids. I'll reply to them while I watch them at gymnastics um, and then take them to jiu-jitsu and then teach a class, train, go to bed early. That's the plan. That's a wrap. Always a pleasure. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Guys, if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Um, you know, we really appreciate that. And uh, we're, you know, we believe we're offering something that's really unique in the in the fight world. Like we're trying to dive into fighting on a deeper level, not just, 
you know, average topics. So, you know, if we feel the community needs this. So I think that you guys can help us spread the word. We appreciate it. Yeah, just send them to breakingtheguard.com. That has the links to all the different sites. Or you can just Google search Breaking the Guard podcast. That'll pop up on any of the podcast platforms. Thanks, awesome. guys. Thank you, guys. See you guys next time. Ciao. Thank you for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between me and Rob. And if you guys have any comments or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us. We're both on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just search uh, Breaking the Guard. And uh, you can reach us or just visit our website, breakingtheguard.com, which is the best place to get all the links to the different platforms that we're hosted on. And please be sure to share it with a friend, post it on your social media. It really helps us grow our following and get more people to notice us. So thank you in advance. A final word from one of our sponsors, which is the Drysdale Cradle Series. Robert Drysdale has a very unique way of using a common wrestling pin, which is the cradle. And normally in wrestling, you just use this to pin the person on the mat, which is putting both their shoulders on the mat for like a split second or so, and that would get you a pin. And a cradle is a very good way of doing that. But most people don't use it in jiu-jitsu and MMA because they just don't have an idea of how they could finish people in combat sports with it. But Robert has a unique way of using it not only to pass the guards, and one of the most pesky guards that people have a hard time with with is a Z-guard, which the cradle works great against the Z-guard, particularly the way that Robert uses it to pass and it also sets up a lot of submission holds like Darce chokes, uh, Bravo chokes, which Robert's very good at, as well as going into guillotines, Japanese neckties, and a bunch of more creative submissions that you can do from there. In addition, since I've joined up with them, I've also added some extra stuff that I used with the cradle as far as passing and also ways of taking the back uh, from the cradle and getting unique chokes from there as well. So you definitely want to check it out and you just go to bjjcradle.com. You can join our newsletter and get some free videos to get a preview of what's to come. And of course, you can just order the course, which is available in both DVD and online streaming formats. Just go to bjjcradle.com to learn more.